welcome to the Psychedelic Timeshare. I'm Mark Couillard with Ian Benwees, and we've also got Ryan Began. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I can tell the listeners how I came to know Ryan Began, the, the man, the myth, the legend. I... Uh, was invited to the Americans for Safe Access meeting in March of 2015, where Sue Sisley was going to get an award for her work with cannabis and veterans. And uh, I met Ryan there with some other veterans, and we protested the VA's policies by smoking cannabis in front of the VA, which was captured in uh, stone vets. And... uh, then uh, and Ryan was was the person there that really found his voice and was the you know le- leading the energy of what we were doing there. And then uh, Ryan, in getting to this meeting, had spearheaded and driven the move to get medical cannabis in Maine as a veteran and a patient who needed medical access along with his uh, doctor. And that's uh, what he brought to D.C. And then since then. He's been his, uh, on his own healing journey that uh, we're going to find out more about. And we reconnected last year after almost six years apart to do uh, medicine in Mexico. So, uh, and, and Ryan was, uh, was a Marine in Iraq and uh, sustained uh, injuries to himself and uh, came back and was able to, you know, he got it. He was on the alcohol and the pills and all that stuff, and then uh, found cannabis and started his healing journey. And that's where we're gonna join him here now and let us and uh, fill in all the blanks. How does that sound, Ryan? Sounds great. Okay. So yeah, what uh, what uh, what details can you uh, fill us in with on your story? But, uh... So it was probably like 2009 where I ran into Dr. Dustin Sulak, who's a cannabis doctor. How, then, how, did, uh, how did you guys find each other? So you'd come back from Iraq. You were still on med- lots of medications. Had you, had you found cannabis at this point when you found? Uh... Um, I was using cannabis recreationally. I knew it was helping me. I didn't know exactly what it was doing. And I was also taking a lot of pills. I was taking, you know, drinking. So the cannabis was having a mild effect. And then I met Dr. Sulak because I was, you know, wanted to improve my health. And I wanted to be able to smoke cannabis without the law getting involved. So we had medical, we had a medical marijuana bill in 2009. And it was incomplete. So then working with Dr. Sulak. You know, I wanted to provide veterans with some type of insurance, you know, some type of liability that they could use cannabis and not be, you know, thrown in jail or whatever. So it's then I made the movement to push for PTSD to get added to the list of qualifying ailments. And at that point, you know, that's really when I found my voice and I started uh, testifying at the state level. And it just it led me to more and more being a voice for people who couldn't speak up, whether it's because they didn't want to, didn't have the courage, or because of their situation wouldn't allow them to. 
So I found myself being an advocate for all those people, veterans, anyone, really anyone who needed cannabis because, you know, trauma can happen anywhere. So PTSD is a pretty broad category. So there was a lot of people that I was, you know, being able to help using the veteran front, you know, my, my voice as a veteran to really break through and, you know, provide some type of, you know, liability for for people using cannabis and who choose to use that path and not want to be on the opiates and all the other crap that the VA and doctors are shoving down your throat. Brilliant. A, a, a lot of how we define ourselves as men is how how useful are we, how useful are we to our family, how useful are we to our country, and that's got to be got to be kind of hard because that's a double whammy going number one i have ptsd and number two i want to use this uh i want to use this drug to help me with it at at the same time yeah i mean i was i knew in my heart that i was on the right path and i knew that i was doing you know doing good for the people because i knew that you know they deserve better than what they're getting for health care and that there were better options out there and you know cannabis was one of those options as I'm more along in my journey, I, I realize that, you know, cannabis has its benefits, but there's other drugs, other plant medicines that we can use that can really evolve us as humans and create a much higher vibration than with the cannabis. Sure. And you can, you know, a lot of this is people's personal paths, right? And there are some similarities, people being on lots of different medications, 10, 20, 30 a day and coming back and using and getting those while they're already on active duty, potentially (laughs) serving still even deployed and then coming back and being on alcohol and then running into the long-term side effects of the medicines just on their body and then suicide, suicidal ideations. And so when you found cannabis, did you see that start to address and take care of some of the symptoms that you were being prescribed some of those pharmaceuticals for? Was that, happening because you were saying you were kind of using it recreationally you know or that was your first uh you know kind of uh way of approaching how, how did that sort of transition go i it i noticed it was kind of like a waterfall effect it was kind of like i started you know once once i started using cannabis as, as medicine i started becoming familiar with other people that were using it as medicines and seeing different ways that they were using it and you know, how it was helping them for me it was it was really grounding um, it allowed me to eat, allowed me to sleep. It allowed me, you know, got rid of the nightmares, you know, to a certain extent that was good. I, I now realize that I needed to see those nightmares because those nightmares are part of my subconscious. And although it helped me, you know, get through that period of my life, I really, you know, now I really feel that you know, I'm blessed to know cannabis, but I feel that, you know, cannabis can be used as a crutch to a certain extent. And I think I was going down that path using cannabis from the time I woke up till the time I went to bed. I need my cannabis. I need my cannabis. I need my cannabis to, you know, now I, I don't even really want to smoke a joint. You know, I smoke a joint at night now and I wake up and I feel like I have a hangover. <laughs> You know, and now I love my dreams. I don't want to not have dreams now, you know, now that I realize what 
you know, my dreams are, they're trying to show me things and I want to see those. I want to see what my subconscious has to say. You know, I'm trying to eliminate my mental as much as I can and eliminate the ego. So one way to do that is to listen to your subconscious and listen to your dreams and just, you know, being able to process those dreams instead of just trying to blanket them over with cannabis. I think it's a huge step in my progress. Sure, sure. And it sounds like managing the whole process on a personal level is really important, right? Because, you know, if you're talking about those uh, dreams as movies, you don't necessarily want to binge watch and watch all of your movies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, <laughs> right? You know, but, and so, uh, yes, to, and, and that's one of the challenges I see with a lot of people with cannabis. If they've used it to self-medicate in the past and they're going to use it as medicine, they have to address the things that they were self-medicating for with that medicine because it is so accessible. So, and because of its accessibility, people can, uh, overuse it and not appreciate it. Right. And, uh, but that's also the benefit of it. It can treat some of those symptoms for a long, 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 long time until someone's in a position where they're also ready to go and do the, the deeper work. And so, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> just like all this stuff, it's really right. How, how people are using it and, and what they're doing with it. Absolutely. I mean, for me, like I said, cannabis became a crutch and I needed, I needed it. I needed it. I needed it. And, but at the time in my life, it was one of the, it was, it was the best option I had, you know, it, and it allowed me to get, you know, to take step by step, you know, control of my health. It allowed me, you know, first it was diet. Then I you know, got into Qigong. Then I got into Wim Hof. And all these different and Reiki, all these different type of energy stuff. It got me into that community of healing, you know. So it opened the door to my mind to be able to at least view other things as options, other than going down to the liquor store and getting a bottle of booze, or you know, be, being dependent upon the VA. I found that I have everything I need in me to be independent of my own healthcare. And, you know, it gave me that responsibility, which, you know, I ran with. A lot of people don't want that responsibility. They want to be able to blame someone else for their bad health or whatever. I wanted my independence. I wanted to know what was going on inside my head. Uh, cannabis, it, it puts blankets over over the problems kind of to an extent. So you really don't know what's going on until you remove the cannabis and really get to see your soul and what your soul is trying to tell you, then you can use the cannabis in a different way. You can, you know, make the cannabis a part of your rituals, of your ceremonies, but not make, not allow the cannabis to smoke you, as they would say. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, so uh, in your path of healing, uh, you've both recently last year uh, gone down to Mexico Right and done some medicine work, and then just most recently, come back from a twenty-day, uh, uh, right, twenty-day dieta in Peru. So, yes. uh, yeah. So is uh, so. Is there anything else you kind of want to share then, background-wise, at this point on your uh, path to get up to where we're going to go now with last year? You know what I mean. In other words, you're saying how. Yeah. Cannabis, you'd use it in the past, and uh, I don't want to say you'd overused it, but you used, like you said, as a blanket, and then it came a certain time to take off some of those blankets, 
and uh, mix other things in there that were a better fit to get you to this point? So over this over the summer, I, I started struggling really, really bad mentally. Um, this last year, during, during yeah, going back, going back to drinking, just like I couldn't figure out my mind. There was stuff that was happening with my mind that I just couldn't get to doing, even doing all the energy stuff I was doing, the Wim Hof, the diet, the fasting. I, I couldn't break through and I was reaching a point of major frustration in my life. So it was in the, it was in the fall, I believe, uh, August, I started uh, microdosing mushrooms, just, you know, just trying to do stuff because I knew I didn't like myself on the alcohol. I knew the alcohol was poisoning me and my only, I, I was running out of options. So I chose to microdose LSD and, and mushrooms, psilocybin. So at that point I started, you know, getting, I started regrounding myself and I started figuring out that there's, I need to go deeper. If I'm going to get through whatever's going on with my ego mental, I need to go deeper. The cannabis, the, the mushrooms, the LSD is not really getting there. And then I, I reached out to some fellow veterans and then I ended up planning a trip to Mexico and it was the best thing I've ever done. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, uh, for those, I know some of our listeners listening to some of our other shows have, uh, understood that in Mexico, because of the Supreme court jurisprudence there over the past couple of years, cases that went to their Supreme court ruled that all personal, uh, medicine drug use in Mexico is legal. And as a result of that, uh, now, in, in the past, people have been going there before. Now, people feel very protected to go there and do medicine. And so, uh, you went uh, last year with some veterans. And uh, what, uh, yeah, tell us about your experiences uh, and, uh, you know, some of your experiences with, uh, with the medicines. Um, well, I got introduced to DMT and uh, Toad, Bufo. Uh, the DM DMT was in a... Uh, vape cartridges which is really nice so i could you know kind of go in easy and gentle and just to see get a feel for it i've done psychedelics before but this was totally different had, had you this ever is, had you ever uh, you had uh, a reason to come across dmt before that i've never i've never okay. done dmt prior so i was i was excited you know very interested then we went to mexico like you know, got to play around with a DMT pen, which was, like I said, which was very comforting. And as soon as, as soon as I was, you know, hitting the, the vape pen, I knew this is what I needed. Like something in me told me that this was the path that I was supposed to be on. And, you know, for the first day, it was just, you know, playing around with the vape pens. And, and then uh, the second day, we got to go deeper in, into the medicine. Uh, we got to, I got to hit the bufo and it was just like surgery for my soul. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it otherwise, but I, I just remember hitting, just taking a big, huge rip and just a big light clicked on and flashed. And I was just overcome with a feeling of love, like, like I've never felt before, you know, love for myself love for others just love for everything that 
that was around me. And I, it was at that moment right there that I knew that this was the medicine. This was the medicine I needed. And this is the medicine that, you know, I need to share with others. I need to, um, this, this feeling of love, I can't, you know, I don't want to contain it to myself. You know, it, it was just something like that, you know. It's just I want everyone to experience it, and everyone should experience it. You know, we have DMT in our bodies, and it's, you know, I've, I've learned, uh, when I went to Peru, I learned to uh, do kundalini, which is very, very powerful. If you don't have DMT at home, look up kundalini. <laughs> I guarantee you it will blow your mind. But, you know, just different, just it just opened me up to the love, you know, just to see the love that's out there and the love you just to experience that love for a minute. It, it can just change. It's life changing. You know, when you, especially when you're at a low point in your life, like I was, I was running out of options. I, I beat my head into the ground doing Wim Hof, doing Chi Kong, you know, just fasting. I'd fast for two, three days. I, diet i was on you know super clean diets but there was still blockages in my energy that just wasn't allowing me to get to the level of vibration that i wanted to and through the use of dmt and bufo it unlocked it was a key to unlocking that vibration and it was just it was through love i mean i don't know how to explain it but it was just it's just an experience of love that is just unconditional there's no limits on it. There's no judgments. There's no, there's no nothing. There's no, nothing attached to it. It was just pure love. And just being with that group of veterans and just with that medicine, it was just a beautiful thing. And then from there, I came home and I was using, using the vape cartridges on my own um, and having my own ceremonies. And, you know, then I was like, you know, screw this. I need to go to Peru. I need to, I need to get deep. You know, there's, there's some demons that I need to, you know, rid myself of. There's, you know, I want to go higher. I want to, I want to live at a higher vibration. How, I know how, how did, how did you know you needed to go to Peru? You know, how was that? A, how was that a next step? You had this experience of unconditional love and bliss and you were, you know, well supported and felt safe. And then you came back home and, you know, that, that's a big step, right? But then you're like, you, 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 how did you know that this, that was your next step? Uh, well, just from listening to veterans talk about their experiences in Peru um, with ayahuasca, you know, I just knew, like, if I want to, you know, increase my vibration, this is how I'm going to do it. You know, being at home, there's too many comforts. There's not enough isolation. There's not, you know, there's too many distractions. You know, the, the medicine helps, but going into the middle of the rainforest for 21 days, that's isolation. You want to find out about your soul. That's what you do. And, you know, just like I said, from hearing other veterans experiences, I, I wanted to feel that I want, you know, I want it to be reincarnated. And that's kind of the process that I went through. Well, I will, uh, Please, uh, yeah, please tell us more about it. So you, you, uh, <clears throat> what, within a, within a month of uh, Mexico, you were back down in Peru? Yeah, yeah, January 1st I left. So the whole month of December I was uh, fasting until 5 o'clock at night. Um, I was only eating rice and 
fruits and plants, a little bit of fish, but not much, uh, cleaning my diet up. Then I got to Peru and uh, met my healer, Gabriel, who was awesome. And uh, the first, within the first five minutes I got there, um, he sat me on a hill, made me do Kundalini. I lost my shit. I had no idea where I was. I thought I didn't, I didn't know what happened to me. I was like, where am I? And, uh, then he gave me some rapé and my, I just started vibrating. I was shaking. My whole body was just, it was just shaking. And I was just totally enthralled in the, in this process. And for me, you know, for my, I guess everyone's journey is different. And for my journey, I just needed to do a lot of purging. I've done a lot of the base work with, with energy, with diets and all that. I've done that. I needed to purge. I needed to cleanse my soul, reincarnate my soul into a, a cleaner place. So that way, and my main focus, you know, after, after Mexico, my main focus is how can I integrate this to other people? How can I go back to my community and make this, you know, something that I can help other veterans, help other people, you know, deal with their own shit. And so the whole time I went, I was in Peru, that was, that was one of my main focuses. How can I integrate this back into, you know, when, when I return home? So, you know, the first, first week was very slow. The first, it was a lot of just isolation by myself, writing in my journal, um, just really trying to bring the demons and the entities that were affecting me to the surface, you know, and trying to purge. So the first week was just, you know, bringing those entities to the present, making those entities known. Um, I did a lot of, a lot of rapé, a lot of kundalini and a lot of, uh, spiritual hypnosis that first week. Um, then, uh, the next week I started getting into the purges. Um, I drank, I did four tobacco purges. Uh, the first, the first one, I thought I was a frat kid at college trying to chug tobacco and it just, you know, came out automatically, like before it was even down in my stomach, you know, and that didn't feel right. So, you know, the second and third time I learned, you know, a lot of it for me was just a calm, just to have a calm demeanor and calm. So that way when the storm hits, if I can remain calm, I can deal with it. So by the third tobacco purge, I was able to, you know, get the tobacco all the way down into my system. You know, then I could get up and do exercises, walk around, you know, and it didn't, you know, and it was getting it all in my body. You know, I felt cold all over, just felt like the medicine was going deep and then that which that allowed me to purge a lot more and get rid of a lot of the darkness that was inside me and so the you know the fourth the fourth tobacco purge went just as well you know it was really really deep really cleansing um i felt really good really good about it so, so you so did the, the next, you did this yeah you did this all before you'd had any ayahuasca right yep and so, absolutely and so yeah these, and this is the only medicines you have in this part of the dieta is just the mapacho the peruvian the amazonian tobacco right 
in a liquid yes. form where you're drinking it concentrated and then drinking water on top of it until you purge. Okay. And what did yep. it feel like? You know, you said you had purges in Mexico with these other medicines. You had purges here. Did it feel like there's anything different you're purging out? You know what I mean? As you're going along, because then you might have had purges in ayahuasca too. You know what I'm saying? Or is it? Uh, yeah. Well, I think I think the purges are are kind of are similar. I think it's all just darkness, and I think um, the tobacco reaches a different level. And I think it just it grounds you. For me, the tobacco was very grounding. Um, in after I do a tobacco purge, I couldn't sleep. I was like, I felt like, a, you know, like a million dollars. I just had all this energy, but it was, it was grounded energy. It wasn't just radical energy like I had before. It was just grounded, focused energy that I could, you know, I really felt like I could process and really use to my advantage. So after, after we did the tobacco purges, I did ayahuasca purges with, with no DMT, just the ayahuasca. Oh, wow. What which, was, tell, yeah, tell us about that. Cause right. Everyone that, who's, who's learned about it is familiar. You got the two different plants together, the ayahuasca vine, the, the monoamine oxidase inhibitor going along with the DMT and the chacruna. You said you had a, you had a brew that was just the ayahuasca vine. Yeah, it was uh, really, really intense. So the, the ayahuasca vine, it shuts down the, the function of the liver so the enzymes don't eat up the dmt um the first time i purged um ayahuasca separately it was it was very intense it felt like my body was going through a washer machine it was just the whole, my whole body was vibrating just you know and then it felt like a helicopter was landing on my head yeah super intense um the next my next ayahuasca purge was one of the most difficult purges I've ever had. Um, earlier in the day, I did spiritual hypnosis, and then I did uh, a tobacco purge earlier in the day. So at, by the time I come to got to the ayahuasca purge, I was you know really a little run down, a little tired, and he made the he made the ayahuasca uh, extremely strong. So I was sitting there paralyzed, just shaking like a washing machine. Like he's telling me to drink water. I'm like, I can't even move anything. <laughs> I was just sitting there just in paralysis, just shaking, just uncontrollably shaking over my purge bucket. Just, you know, without, and I, and I, I lost focus. And it was that purge that really taught me about, you know, maintaining your breath, focusing on your breath. And that's such a grounding thing for me, you know, when you're having, you know, stress or you're having anything, you know, focus on your breath. It's, it's real. You know, it's the one thing that we can control. Sounds like you were able to bring some of those tools that you'd been practicing and developing right in between or, you know, before the deeper medicine work and bring those to bear in, in the medicine work. Absolutely. Some of the kundalini we do, we do uh, some of the Wim Hof breathing techniques before we do the kundalini. So we're integrating all types of breathing, which, you know, made it really powerful. And I was, I was, like I said, I did the base work before. So it was just, it was easy for me to integrate all that in. And just as soon as I learned, you know, just to remain calm, just to breathe you know don't react just breathe relax everything's going to be cool it then 
you know, my third ayahuasca purge, which he gave me even a stronger dose, I was able to, you know, I handled it like nothing. I was just so focused, so ready, you know, just in the, in the moment. And I was in the, you know, present and I just allowed it to, to do its work and go deep in me, but I wasn't losing my mind. I wasn't, you know, racing to get out of here. I was just staying focused on my breath. Amazing. So, uh, are you, are you done at this point? (laughs) You've had four, uh, tobacco purges and three ayahuasca ceremonies. Uh, do you, do you, do you you keep going? Is there more? Uh, Oh, there is more. (laughs) There's more. So then the next step, of course, was the ayahuasca and DMT. And, you know, through my processing, I was, you know, like I said, just remain calm. And through the Kundalini, you learn to be conscious while your mind is out elsewhere, you know, to remain remain here while your subconscious is leading the way. So by the time it came to doing the ayahuasca with DMT, I was fully prepared. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of these experiences that I see. I had a totally different experience. I was able to uh, sit there and process what was going on. Like through, I, I had a lot of, lot of visions in my ayahuasca purges without the DMT, like a lot of visions. It was extremely intense. So then when I got to the ayahuasca with DMT, you know, I, I knew I, my body, everyone's body likes DMT, but you know, I knew that my body was really receptive of the medicine. So at that point, you know, I'd done the ayahuasca, I've done DMT, put them together. It was just a beautiful experience. Um, I just, the one thing that kept coming up in my visions was, you know, because I was focusing on how to help people heal and it, you know, it just kept telling me, beware of your ego you know, watch your ego, watch your ego, but you have everything you need to help people, you know? So it was, it was giving me, you know, telling me I have everything, but beware of the ego because the ego can ruin everything that you have and turn it into, you know, different intentions. How, how did you learn through the process of doing this dieta to work with that ego, right? So you're, higher self, your lower self, the different parts of yourself, whatever we're going to call them and identify them, are able to work together, you know, in a, in a harmonious, uh, unitary whole. Um, or do we should just me, put the, or should we, this is a comedy show, or should we just put the ego out back in the, in the house with the <laughs> collar and a, and a chain <laughs> and feed it scraps? I mean, <laughs> I mean, the ego has its purpose for many years, you know, it kept me, it kept me alive. If I wouldn't have had my ego, I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have been dead. I probably would have given up a long time ago. Yeah, and the ego is definitely not something that you should throw in the back shed. You know, it's definitely something that it makes you who you are and allows you to be in this world and confident in this world. But you also, you know, you need to understand and be conscious of it, just like anything else. You know, just like using your use with cannabis, use with any medicine. You know, it's there. It's a resource. But don't let that resource, you know, become a crutch. Don't depend on your ego all the time to get you out of situations. You know, it's it's not it's going to defend you and it's going to do what it thinks it's right to keep you alive. But a lot of times it's going to get you into trouble. 
because you're going to overreact and you're going to think that you have more control than you do. So I think you just, you, you just need to be aware of its power and aware of its presence, but don't kill it off totally. You know, it's something that made you who you are. You don't, you know, you're not trying to kill off yourself. You know, you're just trying to move yourself to a higher vibration. And with the ego in charge, you can't do that. But if the ego is riding co-pilot and you're able to say, hey, buddy, you know, just I got this one, you know, hands off the controllers. I got this. You know, that's that's a power in itself. Yeah, a lot of that depends on how how good a job of advocating for yourself that that you're doing. Like the ego has to step in and go in a hardcore defense mode and take over and save the day if you're not doing a good job of taking care of yourself, advocating for yourself, keeping good boundaries with people. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, the ego is what it keeps us alive and, and it, it steps in. It's like a safety net. Like, like you say, when you're not doing the right things health wise, or it feels like people are walking on you or taking advantage. Um, it steps in and it takes control. Um, that's good and bad, but, just we need to be aware of it and you know moving to a higher vibration you should bring with you that love you know that love for yourself that love for your soul and i think that keeps the ego at bay a lot if you're not loving yourself and you're not loving what you're doing or the situation that you're in then it's that that's the ego's job is to step in and make sure you're happy but if you're responsible for your own happiness you can kind of put the ego to bed a little bit and let it take a nap and rest. Nice, nice. So a mutual friend of ours, veteran uh, Matt Kale, he's talked in uh, some of the panels we've been on about providing leadership for the ego. So how do we provide leadership through our higher selves for that part of us that is, like you said, it's totally going to step up for us, but if we, if we have it do it too much, we're going beyond just survival and we're, you know... <laughs> overusing it that doesn't help us so how, how, do, how did how did you learn in that uh really long-term meditation with yourself and dieta about integrating all these parts and providing your own uh, ego leadership so it's not just about hey don't get out of control but how do i have my ego where it feels comfortable and doesn't have to do too much you know extra work uh the the biggest thing is being able to forgive yourself i think in being and just loving your internal self, loving who you are. If you love who you are, if you love what you're doing, and if you believe in all those things, then the ego can be your best friend. But if you're making bad choices and you're not being responsible for your own happiness, then the ego is going to be your worst nightmare because it's going to force you to be happy. And you, it, that doesn't, never works. It never works in a relationship. It never works in life. So if you can truly love who you are and love yourself and realize, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. You know, I'm, I'm going to. That's part of being human. And But allowing yourself that forgiveness, you know, knowing that, yes, I can forgive myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up. I'm, but I'm also going to be able to forgive myself at the highest level, not just believing Oh yeah, I forgive myself. I forgive myself. But truly within deep within your soul, being able to forgive yourself, 
that keeps the ego at bay and makes the ego your friend. How how do we do? I yes, amen, and I agree with you. How do we do that? And some of us, right, have been taught that we're not allowed to forgive ourselves. That right, that's not something that's part of our right or makeup or possibility. How did you? How did you find for yourself self forgiveness? Um, a lot of it was, you know, through the Bible. You know, I don't believe. I believe the Bible is a guide for your subconscious, you know, and it, it, it directs you in how to feel good and how to feel good about yourself and how to, and how to forgive. And uh, a lot of it had to do with, with my healer, you know, he, he, through the whole process, you know, forgiveness is a thing, you know, forgiveness is a thing, forgiveness is a thing, but you can't, you can't believe you can't just do forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that you have to come to grips with, you know, within yourself. Realizing that we all have demons in us. We all have entities, darkness that that get inside us when we have traumatic events, when we have, you know, fear, when we're angry. There's demons on different dimensions that are always trying to get inside us and take over our energy. And just being aware of that, you know, that allows me to forgive myself knowing that this darkness was in control. I wasn't in control when a lot of these traumas or a lot of these situations happened. I wasn't in control. There was darkness in me that was leading the way. So, so you weren't making a fully conscious choice. You're making a choice, but you're, you know, you didn't have the a, a, a fuller spiritual picture to 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 make the the right choice absolutely yeah i mean all all my decisions were clouded you know all of um my intentions were were being perverted you know by this darkness in me you know even though i wanted to do good i wanted to do all this these demons were holding me back from it every time i try and reach a level I'd notice that I'd have a big fallback, big fallback, because these demons were getting angrier and getting, you know, more, more upset that I was trying to get rid of them, you know. And then I think going on um, a seven-day fast with no food or water, you know, it really made an uncomfortable situation for the darkness to live, and it didn't want to be there anymore. And you know, at that point. I, I realized, you know, after doing um, a bunch of spiritual hypnosis sessions, I noticed, I could notice myself the next day. Like, I would be I would be angry, throwing a fit, mad. Why the fuck am I in the middle of the rainforest? Fucking bugs, humidity, this is crap. What is going on? Then I'd do a session of spiritual hypnosis, and he'd extract a few entities or a few demons. And I... I about you know an hour later i'd have a big smile on my face and i'd be like i'm sorry for being an asshole you know i had to like apologize to the guy because i was i was such a dick but it was just my demons were fighting the process fighting the process so and then i mean once once i noticed that and i saw the difference in me then like all of a sudden i can go to bed and sleep i'm like holy you know that's when i really you know 
made the observation that wow these demons really were leading my leading the way like i had a halter on and they're like i was a horse and they were just walking me through the pasture and you know it was at that point where i was just like wow i i can forgive myself i can find this deep forgiveness that's gonna satisfy my ego that's gonna satisfy my conscience it's gonna satisfy my mental allow my subconscious to come forward and just really get a, a clear vision of who I am and what I want to do, what I want to be, you know, without all this darkness, you know, kind of blocking my path. How were some of the, how, how were you able to let go of some of the guilt or shame or grief, let's say that, might proceed being able to, you know, forgive yourself or let go, you know, so you're talking about these, um, demons that you were releasing and purging and, uh, and, in, in, in getting out through spiritual hypnosis and all these means, how, 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 when you're seeing those things that are part of you, how do you not feel, how do you get through the guilt of like allowing in that way of those things to happen? Like the view of the ego, right? Or, you know, the shame of disappointment of letting yourself down because bad things happen to you, <laughs> you know, or, or that you, you know, the grief of losing other people. Right. And how, how did you, how did you, how did you process some of those things? You know, every human, we make decisions based upon the information that we know. And at that time, the information that I was processing those were the right decisions you know, based on the information I had at hand. Um, you know, and then once I started, you know, being aware of the darkness, I was able to, now I had new information. Now I can process things differently. I can see, okay, well that caused that, that, you know, that those actions were directly related to the knowledge that I had at the time. So, so more self-compassion and self-understanding. You could see how at that time that was the best decision you could make with all the information you had. And so you could accept it, be okay with it, and, uh, yeah, and move on. Absolutely, yeah. Beautiful. So um, did, were there more were – there, was there more – Work after that? Were there more sessions of different kinds of plants, or more ayahuasca? Or, uh, in, in... <laughs> Wait, I, I ended up doing. I ended up doing two. two how how many ayahuascas must a man take before they call him? <laughs> so. I ended up doing two ayahuasca ceremonies with DMT. Um, the first one I I did by my did by myself, and the healer just observed and made sure I was all right. And the second one, we both. He, it's kind of like, fuck it. Let's just drink some ayahuasca. So we both filled up a glass at like three in the morning and just had fun. You know, we just, it, it was, at a, it was at the point in my, you know, my stay in my process where we could both, you know, be kind of on the same level and kind of, you know, just process things together and just have a, you know, a beautiful, you know, kind of a celebration, you know, the end of my process. And we just, I mean, just <laughs> Like I said, we just drank a bunch of ayahuasca, and, and he had like um, it was only like fifteen plants in his different in his ayahuasca, and it was just I mean beautiful. We just sat there and you know shared visions and were able to just process together, and it was just beautiful. Awesome, awesome. 
So what, when, uh, then, you, and how long ago did you come back from Peru? Uh, Friday, last Friday I came back from Peru. Wow. So what, for people, right, who d- wouldn't know maybe what a preparatory diet before doing this actual dieta, which is just the Spanish word for diet, of course, but then there's also a post dieta, right, where you have still further restrictions on what you can do and what you can consume. So do you have a post dieta you, you're working with? Uh, I'm just sticking to plants, fruits, a little bit of chicken here and there, but, you know, just, just coming back slowly. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's not, you know, like today I took some LSD, but, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm at a place right now where I'm pretty good with things. You know, I'm still fasting till uh, like five o'clock at night, just water, just, you know, like just rice and stuff that's really easy on the system. But for me, it's just, you know, trying to, trying to reintegrate is, is the biggest thing for me. You know, there's a lot of, I already sounded crazy before I left. Now I come back <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, everything's inter interdimensional. And like, <laughs> well, like you got demons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, you can explain to people a little bit then. Yeah. If you came back and you started eating fast food and watching a ton of TV and had all these, you write whatever you want to say, lower vibrational energies, lots of noise, right, in your signal-to-noise ratio. What would that do to the work that you've been doing before getting ready to go to Peru and going down there and now coming back? So so people can understand why that's important, not to come back and integrate it, <clears throat> and then also to have high-quality things in their lifestyle, right, so they can maintain the higher uh, – levels of awareness and connection without getting overstimulated by our society, which has just got, you know, nonstop noise coming out of it. You, you have to have, it, I mean, it depends on person to person. You have to have, you know, the more solid foundation you have, the more you can deal with, I guess, you know, I, I personally have found it just, it's just a little overwhelming. Everyone wants to know, like, Oh, what you do, what you do, what you do. And then you like start talking about demons and entities and multidimensional shit. And it's just like, okay, okay. So for me, the biggest thing is just to like dull my human interaction a little bit and just, you know, wait and relax and allow that to come naturally and not, you know, for show up and just, oh my gosh, you got to do this and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, m- allow more more allow people to just come to me and, you know, and just, I had, like, I have a fairly solid foundation. So the noise and everything, I can be very conscious of what's going on, you know, but while maintaining a high vibration, as long as you can separate the two and you're aware and you can see like, Oh wow, that's programming. That's programming. That's programming. But it doesn't matter who you are. If you get beat down with enough programming, it's going to drive your vibration down. So I I go snowmobiling. I go out. Like today I went uh, skating out on a lake, just free, you know, just just being out in nature a lot, you know, connecting with nature, not losing that connectivity. And, you know, just trying to, you know, protect yourself from all this programming as much as you can. 
but I would, you know, as we all do, we all like to be part of society just to know what's going on, you know, just so that way, you know, I'm, you're more educated, you're more aware and, and coming back from, you know, 21 days in the, in the rainforest, I mean, I, I turned the TV on and I, I, like, it hurt my head. Like, I just, I wanted to cry. Like, I was like, oh my God, they invented a new friggin' disorder, like, looking at the screen too much. You got a disorder. I'm like, holy shit, I better shut it off before I get another disorder. Like, you know, it's like, I, I didn't even want, you know, nothing to do with it. It just hurt my brain. No, and I just, you know, TV, it's like, wow, programming, programming, programming. But, it's you know, uh, it's then, it's easy to forget just how profoundly sick this country is until you're at the airport coming back <laughs> from an ayahuasca session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like drink, 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 <laughs> eat, 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 eat. Like, holy shit! <laughs> but yeah, for me, you know, being able to like to use the social media as a way to like kind of break people into the idea and, you know, kind of allow like some transparency, even though you can't get it into all the deep stuff, you can still give people a glance at like, wow, this was him before he went to Peru, Mexico. Now this is him after, you know, you can just, you can see it's a night and day difference. You know, if you look at my Facebook thing, it's like, Oh shit. This is when he did ayahuasca. Like you don't even need to see the dates. You can just see, you know, you the can process. see it. You can see it in your eyes. You can see it in your skin. Your, yeah. your whole, your whole look. Well, I think this is a great segue then, Ryan. Into uh, you've been a voice for veterans for many years, and like you said, uh, you know, helping get PTSD added as a qualifying condition for the medical program in Maine for veterans and and everyone, all patients that can benefit. Now, as you're uh, getting to this point in your work where you've worked with some of the even deeper medicines and gone to Mexico and gone to Peru and done the 21-day dieta, and sounds like your, wi- your life stabilized with your practices and your community and these medicines, uh, w- what's next? You've, you know, what, what, I know you want to continue to help veterans. What's what, what would you like to see next in America, in Maine, yourself, uh, veterans, society? Give us the Sacred gifts, man. Plant. We're all ears. <laughs> Sacred plants decriminalized. I think uh, for, me, for me in my community in Maine, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, get them off the books. You know, we have a lot of uh, Amanita mascara that grows here. I'd like to be able to hold ceremonies for veterans and people with that. So I'd like to see that just decriminalize, you know, allow these sacred plants to be used freely, give people more options. People need more options. The alcohol, the cannabis, the pills, we need more options. And for me, it's the psychedelics, you know, any, anything. I think, you know, anything that can, really open up somebody's perception to different views is very beneficial. And I think that everyone should have access. You know, everyone should be able to access mushrooms. Everyone should be able to access, you know, whatever, whatever it is that they prefer, you know, and on the national level, I'd like to, you know, get, get our cannabis crew together and let's 
do the psychedelic thing now, you know, let's, you know, let's make this happen. Let's share this love, you know, the cannabis love that was good, but this is, you know, this is a bigger love that we can, you know, have way more effect and change way more people's perception and allow more people to operate at a higher vibration, you know, and that's just, that's what we need to bring to the table now. Um, yeah, we got cannabis and that's great, but you know, now let's do some true healing. Let's uncover those blankets that we've been putting on ourselves and get down to the brass tacks and, you know, get into people's souls and, you know, get rid of their entities and their demons. So I think, you know, like I said, for me in Maine, it's probably going to start with mushrooms because that seems to be, you know, how the doors are opening through for the psychedelics. Would that would that be like at a state level thing one would try? Yeah. Okay. So like yeah. so like Oregon has done so far, but just with mushrooms, Oregon has uh, decriminalized all psychedelics and drugs, right, and put it in a, a therapeutic uh, pathway for providers to be able to offer it. For you, seen Maine got to go statewide right you're not going to do it at just the city level and then just try to get uh psilocybin mushrooms magic mushrooms decriminalized across the whole state absolutely that's that's my goal that's that seems like it's my mission right now make mushrooms accessible to everyone right and then people could grow them themselves themselves and uh have have their own medicine and can you can grow do you have a right to grow for cannabis in Maine? Yes. Excellent. So would that be something that you'd want to see as well in a decrim uh, initiative would be the ability for people to grow it? Oh, absolutely. I think it's very important that people grow their own medicine. They have a lot more confidence in it. They know what's going in. They know what's coming out. Um, it gives them just a better feel, feel for their medicine. You know, I, and that way it makes it more, it makes it more uh, reasonable for everyone. That way they don't have to buy it. They, you know, they can, it's more affordable, more accessible. And then they can just play with it on their own. And you're not like, okay, you get this much or you get that much. Here, grow your own Here, you know, just like we did with cannabis, you know, and that just being able to grow on your own. Now you got to go into the community. Now you got to talk to other people that are growing there. It's okay. What are you doing? How are you doing this? Then it's that whole waterfall effect. Now you're like, Oh, wait, you know, I'm using Amanita mascara. Oh, I'm using this, this, I'm using peyote. I'm using San Pedro. You know, it's all. So then you have just this whole network of people that are before that were, you know, secretively doing this, these, uh, these grows and, you know, having these ceremonies now, just like with cannabis, now it's just coming to the surface. And through transparency, I think we're going to break down a lot more doors. Amen. So with what you've learned in Peru and your other uh, previous experiences, what kind then of uh, lessons, training, experience, things that you would be able to share, let's say, is you if you got your wish and uh, psilocybin mushrooms were decriminalized in Maine. What could would you be sharing with other people, right, in the way of techniques, practices, you know, ceremonial, pre, post, integrate? What what kind of things would you be sharing with people that uh, you know we'd all be uh, doing together if we lived up there? For the most part, I think uh, this is all from, I'm saying. Assuming we have some sort yeah. of decriminalization, right? Let's, from let's from my experience. Or, from my experience using them, you know, like using them at music festivals, taking, you know, 
large, large amounts of it and just having your head blown off. Um, that That's all right. But using them on the micro level, you know, microdosing them, like waking up and taking, you know, like a capsule or just like, you know, less, you know, less than like, like 0.2 grams or something like that, you know, like a low, low dosage. And it just allows you to be connected. It allows you to process the integration that's happening. And it creates a lot more awareness. Getting your head blown off with mushrooms is great. You know, everyone should try it. But I think for a regular daily, for more medicinal use, I think the microdose is definitely a more beneficial method of taking taking anything. Does the microdose, uh, is it different once you've had a deeper dose of the medicine preceding it, whether or not that was, you know, in a ceremony or not? Does it? Does that make sense? It it does. It does the same thing. It just does it at a much slower rate, where your mind can process what's happening. You know, when you just like when you smoke large amounts of DMT or something, your mind is just boom. It almost happens too fast. So part of the pro, you lose part of the processing. You know, through micro through microdosing, whether it's LSD or shrooms. It allows you to be part of the processing, and you can, it's much easier to integrate that into your daily life and see how it's it's benefiting you. It, it gives you a much clearer perspective on what the medicine is doing to you. So, what's the future then? You see in Maine or in the U.S. However many years you want to look at from now, when not just psilocybin, but DMT and 5-MeO-DMT and Iboga and mescaline, all these other medicines are decriminalized at state levels, are descheduled at a federal level. Yeah, what, what kind of future either do you see or do you hope for or do you want to see or what's, what's going to happen? I, I think the walls are coming down a lot quicker than we thought. I mean, with everything that's going on, with the COVID, with the, just the darkness that's in this world right now, I think people are really looking, searching in their souls for an answer. And I think, which is just makes a beautiful entryway for these psychedelics and the DMT, Toad, Ibogaine, all these different medicines that we haven't been utilizing in our societies. You know, I think the darkness is going to be an avenue for that. You know, people are looking, searching for something. I, I, I personally believe it's going to be sooner rather than later. I mean, I believe in my lifetime, I'll be seeing, you know, DMT ceremonies, ayahuasca ceremonies, Amanita mascara ceremonies, just all these different ceremonies that are being able to, you know, help people. I think I, I will see that. I think it's my mission to make, you know, part of my mission is to, you know, join together with like like-minded folks and make that happen. Amen. Because it's not practical, right, for everyone to go down to Peru and do ayahuasca, right? There's just no. Okay. <laughs> so what you're saying is the future is it's we need to take a homegrown approach and decriminalization, at least at the state and local level, is the start there. And uh, so it sounds like you're optimistic then on the uh, federal level, th things tracking the same way with uh, descheduling. And uh, 
Then, then what? What about veterans? What uh, either would you like to see as far as veteran healing or or societal healing or how? Like you'd mentioned that veterans, you know, being a you being a face for PTSD, that made it easier for people to accept for that to become right a qualifying condition, and uh, people could understand that tra- all trauma is trauma, and childhood trauma is the bigger cor- biggest correlator to getting uh, trauma from you know combat service. So. Uh, yeah, what, what do you want to see in the future? Uh, in well, I think, you know, I think what's happening right now is, you know, veterans have a have a warrior mentality, you know, and I think, you know, every veteran that we can turn into becoming a spiritual warrior, you know, I think is going to be to our advantage. And just like cannabis, veterans are going to lead the way. You know, veterans, you know, we talk and the communities listen. You know, just because of how much the the media and the world blows up what we do. You know, we're we're just humans. We're just people. But sure. But but if we take if we all take ayahuasca, won't everybody not want to fight? And then won't all the other countries go? Ha ha. They all their warriors just took ayahuasca. We invade now. Well, that won't happen. If everyone takes ayahuasca, we'll be riding at such a high vibration that it won't matter. Right. We'll be all interdimensional. Like, you what, know, they'll invade and like, where did everybody go? <laughs> yeah. It, so, it, we won't even care. Like, I mean, at that vibration, a nuclear bomb is nothing. It's nothing. Nothing. We'll just go to a different dimension. All right. I'll see you over there. Meet you at the fifth dimension or something. You know, it's like once you're once you're able to get that many people at that vibration, the whole world's changed. Then people are gonna be like, Wow, we wanna go there. Wow, what is that? You know, instead of instead of having to send people halfway across the world to Peru just to get fuck healing that we can do in our backyards right here. Like why, why, why have, do we have to do that? Why do we have to make health, health being healthy so expensive? And we don't. All these, all these things are in nature. All these things are around us. You know, let's, you know, utilize our resources to help our people. All of these things are illegal. <laughs> and it all depends on whose laws you follow. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, now you're really talking crazy, Doc. No. <laughs> so, well, so. Uh, you you mentioned earlier you were talking about fasting, demons, the Bible, and uh, I just kind of spaced off into this vision of. Uh, Jesus in the desert fasting and uh, Lucifer shows up and I think offers him uh, some things. Can you remember, did your, as you're going through this, do your, did your demons offer you anything, anything good while you were in the jungle getting bitten by bugs? <laughs> so, do, you have, do you have any special coupon codes you were able to load into so, the shopping cart? One quick story, like on day five of my fasting, when I was having a really, really difficult time, I watched a snake for like five minutes, maybe longer outside my room. I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, usually I'm very afraid of snakes and I was, you know, about five feet from them. So 
about, then about two hours later, I was laying in my bed, and this same snake, a green mumba, tried to get inside, like tried to come in like my place. I was like, whoa, what the heck? So then another guy caught another rare snake, like maybe like 20 feet from my place. And my healer was talking. He's like, I've been here 10 years and I've never seen a snake. And today we've seen two. So it's like, that was just, you know, that was just a representation of my demons of the snakes just trying to get in, you know, and through, because I was angry. I was angry. I was like, why am I fucking not eating? Blah, 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 blah. I can't sleep. You know, being angry. And then all of a sudden these snakes show up. It was just like a direct fucking connectivity to fucking, you know, my demons and, you know, where I was at in my process. So the ayahuasca peddler is like, no, no ayahuasca for you. <laughs> you cut down the snakes, then you get some of the ayahuasca. <laughs> so. Wow. so what, um, so it sounds like the future you're describing, Ryan, definitely something that uh, I want to live in. We know that veterans make up 7% of the U.S. population. And what I'm hearing you say is that uh, as exemplars or avatars or people being able to show integrating this childhood and wartime trauma and being and loving themselves and forgiving themselves can set an example for the rest of us. How do we, how how do we turn down the the, the war machine? Because you've been part of it, and neither of us are pacifists, but we've seen you know how you can't achieve your political aims in these you know wars that last forever. So, how do we not? How do we go from the personal healing right to the societal transformation? One soul at a time. It's just one soul at a time. You and you just have to wait. You know, like I like I said, through the darkness, people are going to want, people need something. Just, you know, people are going to want to be saved. So we just need to right now establish our foundation, you know, get our group, our, our solid leaders together. That way, when these people come flocking to us, like, help us, save us, this fucking dark shit sucks. Yeah, we need to be ready and have the logistically be able to you know, process these people through and help reincarnate their souls and get them in a good spot. So I think right now it's just establishing logistics um, and just preparation, a lot of preparation, because the resurrection is, is upon us. I mean, you can't deny the amount of darkness, the COVID, this, that, you know, there's so much darkness right now. But as you know, before resurrection, it gets really dark. So we need to prepare ourselves for the resurrection so that way when people are ready to be saved, because you can't save people until they're ready to be saved. It's not like you can just knock a go door to door like a Jehovah's Witness, like, hey, oh, hey, you want GMT? Here, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do that. So you have, to, you have to just wait. You have to prepare. You have to solidify your foundation. And that way when they do come running, because they will, you are ready. So if eventually we are going to beat those swords into plowshares and the knives into pruning hooks and we're going to grow things, the, these, these warriors, what, what are we going to grow? When we, get our, when we get our rights to grow, what are we going to grow? 
that's going to change. In other words, right? That's that's part of the end of the war machine. Has to be that the warriors are transformed into something else, not just right that they're healed and they already don't want to fight war no more, right? Spiritual warriors. You turn them into spiritual warriors, and you connect them with their subconscious. You connect them with. You know their souls. You can't. Once people are connected with their souls, they don't have the need to fight. You know, you dissolve the you you put that ego in the co-pilot seat. So the ego is not like, oh, nah, we need to fight, fight, fight. You know, no one needs to fight. You know, I mean, you're you're talking about like a utopian society. Right? Well, the Everyone's ego just... the ego still has to. You have to still got to put food on the table, right? This is what I'm saying. You know, you're getting paid. We're getting paid to fight. Now we're talking about paying ourselves by growing something so yeah i grow you can grow mushrooms i I don't think yeah but i think if if we're able to get everyone to a high vibration what do we need we don't need anything (laughs) we don't need anything look at yogis they they just eat air all day (laughs) you know what do we need like i can sit here all day and meditate and breathe air and i'm i can live forever (laughs) I, you don't need nothing. That's the point that we need to get people to. We need to get people where they don't have the desires. They don't have the needs. They don't have the lust. They don't have the envy. Like what I have inside me is all I need because that's all I'm taking to the next dimension. I'm not, I'm not taking, you know, anything. Taking sure. me. Sure. And for real, so. right, people are, you know, losing their jobs and they're getting evicted out of their houses and there's a big reset going on in the economy. So a lot of people are in fear mode and, being able to put food on their table is an important thing. I'm just saying is, you know, us getting away from being farmers, now we're disempowered and we're disconnected from the earth and the plants. And I think part of this whole thing of taking care of ourselves and reintegrating is becoming some sort of farmers growing something where we can give that ego the leadership of saying, yeah, I have a safe, legitimate, healthy way to sustain myself and I don't need the government to help me if I have my own health care because I can grow cannabis and I can grow <laughs> mushrooms and I can grow, you know, mimosa hostilis and everything else, right? I mean, so. In, in Maine, we're in a pretty good situation because there's a lot of farmland. There's a lot of, you know, people. And over the past couple of years, people have really started to reintegrate farming and, you know, using local local beef, just you know, really organic, going organic, getting back into that, that way of thinking, that way of living, you know, on a more independent basis where you're not, you don't have that dependency where you don't have that extra stress. Like, Oh, if the government doesn't pay me my money, what am, what am I going to do? I'm gonna, you know, or if I don't go to work and get stressed out for 40 hours, what the, what's going to happen? I can't pay for my mortgage. Hey, just go in the woods, build yourself a log cabin boom, plant some seeds, kill some fish, kill some deer, you know. In Maine, we have it good. Like, I don't know what you're going to do down there in Texas, but in Maine, we have it good. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Is there, uh, is there any uh, website or any anything you want to point people towards if they want to get involved with some activism or what's what's going on in Maine? How, how do people uh, get in touch with you or connect with you if they're uh, 
on Facebook, Ryan Deegan on on Facebook. Yeah, we'll make sure to put your uh, you know some links in the in the show notes. So yeah, we're totally stoked. Excuse me to have you on, and uh, yeah, any final thoughts you want to leave us as we roll out here? Want to leave us with? Uh, Just everyone be aware of the darkness, but also be aware that the light is coming. We love you, brother. Thank you so much. Ha, ha, ha.